We're in a series called The Good Life. It's a look at the New Testament book of James, and many of you know that uh, James is considered a very practical book. Um, He has a very clear idea of how we're to live, and he doesn't just talk, however, about the easy stuff. At times, and we'll see this over the next few weeks, James can get a little confrontational, challenging in ways that can make us feel uncomfortable, sometimes very uncomfortable. And the topic he takes up this week is the topic of discrimination. Now, as you've already heard, um, he mentions a specific form of discrimination, and that is the discrimination of the rich over the poor, and even the way that we often favor rich over the poor. But the principles he lays out apply to a variety of different kinds of situations, anytime we find ourselves looking down on someone else. And here's what he's getting at. Whether we like it or not, whether we admit it or not, all of us walk around with an idea of the sort of people we'd like to hang around and the sort that we would like not to. Of course, we won't admit it. We're good people. We're open-minded. We don't discriminate. Or do we? The truth is, is that in subtle and sometimes not so subtle ways, we play favorites. We show partiality to one group over another. Now, we may prefer the rich over the poor, the educated over those with less education, those who agree with our politics and those who don't. We may favor thin people over those who've put on a few pounds. We may like being around young people, not seniors. Men over women, or this one's really tough, those who don't look like us, maybe those who have a different skin color from the one that we have. James here isn't playing around. He points out that we all have favorites, different kinds of people, and we could say, well, that's human. Human beings have always done that. And we could admit that there's a tendency that everyone sorts of has to favor some over others. But James doesn't do that. He forces us to admit that this sort of thing needs to be exposed, it needs to be repented, and it needs to be transformed by the love of God. Now, and here's the way James begins in James chapter 2, verse 1. And if you'd like to follow along in the Pew Bible, it's on page 1840, um, although many of the words that I will be looking at today will be on the screen. So again, James chapter 2, verse 1. And here's the way he begins. He says, my brothers and sisters, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, you must not show favoritism. And then he goes on to give a specific example. He says, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, And a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, hey, here's a seat for you. But to the poor man, you say, you stand there or sit at the feet, uh, sit on the floor by my feet. Now, what's going on here uh, is that the ancient world was very class conscious, class conscious. Um, I'm listening right now to a series of lectures by a professor from Colgate University called The Other Side of History. And what he is, is he's presenting the way the ordinary, everyday sorts of people live. Not the rich, but the way people lived in the ancient world. And uh, what he talks about is that there were strong distinctions in most cultures, particularly Greek and Roman cultures, between those who were rich and those who were poor. Actually, historians tell us one of the differences, one of the few places that rich and poor came together was in the Christian church. In fact, it wasn't uncommon for both slaves and their masters to be part of a congregation. But James had heard that the church had slipped up, that instead of living out this egalitarian ethic of Jesus, that they'd fallen back on old habits and were tolerating favoritism, favoring rich over poor. And so he lays out this scenario where a rich man comes into a service wearing gold ring and fine clothes, By the way, at the time that he was writing, in many cultures in the ancient world, 
men wore basically the same kind of clothing, but they would add a few little touches. Like, for example, there might be a belt made of some kind of expensive fabric, often colored purple. That was a symbol of wealth. The more wealthy and important you were, the wider that belt might be. And he mentions gold rings. In the ancient world, that was one way that you were able to show off your wealth. In fact, some people, we're told, not only had a ring on one finger, they had rings on multiple fingers, and sometimes multiple rings on the same finger, just to show off how wealthy and important you were. You could even rent rings for a special occasion, so you'd look even wealthier, much like the way an actress will rent a diamond, you know, expensive diamond, multi-million dollar necklace for the Academy Awards. So what's happening here is a rich man walks into this community, this church community, and people are falling all over themselves to find him a seat. Not just any seat, but a good seat. And apparently, probably they wanted to have him up front so he could see what was going on and hear, and also so he could be visible, so everyone would be able to look at him. Now, we might do that today. We might give somebody a seat in the back row, but um, regardless, they were trying to give them something that they thought would be honoring to them. Now, at the same time, Uh, Someone else, a poor person, comes in, dressed not as well as the person that came in, no gold rings, perhaps a dirty old toga. And they come in and they say, you know, well, you just stand over there or sit at my feet. And remember, being by someone's feet was considered disrespectful in that culture. Now, I want to mention, though, that James was not actually being critical of the way they treated the rich man because what he was saying is that's an appropriate way to treat someone who's a newcomer in your community is to give them honor. But what he is critical of is the way that they treat the poor person. I hope that at City Church we treat everyone the same and that we treat those who are new with great respect and dignity. We greet them and warmly welcome them. But the difference here is that they treated two different classes of people differently. Honored one and dishonored another. And James says that's discrimination. It's evil. He's being harsh here. But it's here how James exposes how silly um, it is to discriminate. Now, to paraphrase what you just heard a moment ago, the truth is, is that those who are materially poor are often spiritually rich. And then he says, you're showing um, honor to those who are materially rich when you're ignoring the fact that others, perhaps the poor, are more spiritually rich. Does that really make sense? And then to make matters worse, perhaps um, because they welcomed this man so warmly, this man may have been among those who were mistreating them. Sometimes the wealthy use their wealth as a way of exploiting the systems of justice, and they may take advantage of their wealth and position in society and exploit the poor. That may have happened here. And he's saying they not only do that, but sometimes they'll even ridicule your faith in Jesus and slander his name. And you might say, well, we don't do that today, but do we? Sometimes I've observed that we're often mesmerized by the rich and powerful and beautiful people of the world. And you may say, well, I don't do that. But I'll tell you, I have. I know that there have been times when I come in contact with somebody who's wealthy, sometimes very wealthy, and it sort of changes the way I treat them. I tend to think about them uh, in different ways. And sometimes we do that so that it works at the expense of the poor. Ignoring the poor and favoring the rich is completely contrary to the example that Jesus set. James wants us to remember that, that while Jesus lived on earth, he treated people with equality. And often, God chooses those who are the poorest materially to be the richest spiritually. And so must we. We need to welcome everyone that God welcomes. Not only rich and poor, but the PhD and the high school grad, men and women, young and old, the fit and the fat, the black and the white. The rule is the same. 
We need to treat everyone with respect, to treat everyone the way we ourselves want to be treated. God doesn't play favorites, and neither should we. And then to reinforce his point, he mentions what he calls uh, the royal law of the Scriptures. He's referring back to um, the Ten Commandments and some of the other commandments that were so important in the Old Testament. And he makes the point that love your neighbor as yourself is one of the key commandments in all of the Scriptures. And then he says, you know what? Um, uh, he's, he's referring really to a story from the life of Jesus when a man came to Jesus and said, hey, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus said, well, the first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind and your soul and your strength. And then he said, but there's a second one you also need to follow, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, in this particular account of that, James skips the first part, the part about love God, not because it's not important, but because that seemed to be something they were doing okay at. The second part, though, the love others part, he thought was really important to remind them of because that's the part where they were failing. By the way, this story about Jesus in this uh, question he got about the greatest commandment is where we ourselves at City Church get our purpose statement of love God and love others. There's a vertical relationship we need to have with God, and then we need to live that out on the horizontal. So their problem was they had a problem in that whole area of relationships with others. They were favoring some and dishonoring others. So he wants them to learn this ethic of equality. Again, he doesn't mind special treatment of those who are new to their community. What he minds is the differential treatment of those. They should do the same for the poor that they do for the rich. For the Christian, James is reminding us that everyone matters. We've never looked into the eyes of someone who does not matter to God. It could be a neighbor or a cop or a carpenter or a waitress or a millionaire or a disabled child or an immigrant or a soldier, an elderly person in a memory care unit, a politician who votes differently from us. All of these are people we ought to show love and respect and not dishonor. Every person matters to God. They're all people that Jesus died for. And even if they don't yet know Jesus, they may be just a prayer away from knowing who he is and honoring him and coming into a relationship with him. And even if they don't, they deserve our respect, our honor, and our love. In the last few verses in chapter 2, or last few verses we'll look at in verses 10 to 13, he takes this argument a step further, and he talks about some other commandments, and he mentions commandments that are part of the Ten Commandments, commandments like don't uh, uh, murder, don't uh, commit adultery. And he says, you know, the deal is you cannot pick and choose. You can't pick and choose and specialize in just one or two of the commandments. You have to keep the whole thing. And so it's great that you haven't committed adultery. It's great that you haven't murdered someone. But don't take pride in that if you have not at the same time loved God or loved your neighbor as yourself. So keep all the commandments and love your neighbor as well. Do what's in their best interest. Do what you would want them to do for you. And treat everyone equally, rich and poor, male and female, black, white, blue, whatever it is, do this. And then he says, kind of as a warning at the very end, he says, if you don't, remember that if you don't show mercy, you will not be shown mercy. Now, one of the complaints sometimes that's made about James, the book in general, and a passage like this in James is, hey, isn't he kind of competing, uh, having a different view than St. Paul does? St. Paul talks a great deal about how faith doesn't come by what we do. It comes by a faith, simply our faith in, in Jesus Christ, that it's something that comes to us as a gift that James or, uh, Paul often talks about as grace. So is 
James talking about something else, saying that what we do, the good things that we do, are the way that we end up in a relationship with God. And I don't think that they are contradictory, because Paul is talking about how we come to faith, and James is talking about how we live out that faith. While a relationship with God is not something that we earn, what James is telling us is that something that needs to be lived out, or it's not genuine. Now, James is upset that they were practicing discrimination, favoring the rich over the poor. And as uh, we would say, any kind of, dis- or he would say, any kind of discrimination is wrong. Discrimination over education, political affiliation, physical fitness, age, gender, skin color, it's just wrong, full stop. Now, some of you may have seen the study guide that we had handed out the first week or so that we were, uh, began this series. This is just an opportunity for you to follow along each week with some questions that deal with some of the Bible passages in James that we're looking at. And you may have noticed, if you have picked that up, that uh, it's structured just a little bit differently than some of the other series that we've done on books of the Bible. Rather than just going straight through, we've actually grouped different passages from James together. And that's because he returns to themes over and over again. In fact, this theme of the rich and the poor and how we treat one another, James returns to four different times in the book. And so I want to look at a couple of these others. First, in chapter 1, verses 9 and 11, 9 to 11. Let me just read what James says here. He says, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossoms fall, its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away, even while they go about their business. Now, uh, I wish we could spend more time. We can't because of time. But let me just say, what he's saying is, if you're poor, be grateful that God thinks so highly of you. God loves you. God cares for you. God sees you as someone who has equal dignity with all. And then he says, for those of you who are rich, be grateful that God humbles you, that you can never, you need to remember that your wealth can disappear overnight. He uses this metaphor of a desert flower that blooms in the morning and because of the bright, hot sun by afternoon is turned to straw. What Jesus or James is doing here is reminding them of the good news of Jesus Christ, that every one of us have been created with great dignity, that we've been created in the image of God, but that each one of us have rebelled, that we've sinned, that we've fallen far short of what God has planned for us. And yet God initiated a rescue mission. He sent his son to live the sort of life that we ought to have lived but cannot. And he died a death, a death that we deserved in order that we might be reconciled to him. Some of you are familiar with John 3.16, but you may be less familiar with the verse that immediately follows, John 3.17, where John writes, summarizing some of what he learned from Jesus. He says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So God didn't condemn us. He provided this savior, Jesus Christ, and that is how we have a relationship with him. So here's what James is getting at here. He's saying all of us, rich and poor, are in the same predicament. We've sinned, and we have a problem. But that problem has been addressed when, Jesus sent his, when God sent his son, Jesus. And what Jesus did for us on the cross, um, he did for us all, rich and poor. And so we are all fully accepted and deeply loved. But we need to remember that we didn't do this on our own. So for the wealthy, he's saying, remember, you know what? You're sinners too. And for the poor, he's reminding them you, every day, you know, six days a week, you get beat up. Remember, though, that God loves you so deeply. 
And then he says that should change the perspective of both the rich and the poor. There's a saying that the, the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross, that we all need Jesus. And that's what James is reminding us today. Again, James mentions some of these same ideas in another passage, almost toward the end of the book, in chapter 5, verses 1 to 6. And again, our time's limited, but he returns to this issue of the discrimination against the poor. And he issues some harsh criticisms against the rich. And I want to read just a few of the verses here in James chapter 5. He says, now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming to you. Your wealth is rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. You've hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your field, fields are crying out against you. The cries of a harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. Now, this is pretty in your face, but here's what he's saying. He's saying that it's wrong to have indifference about income equality, the extreme gaps between the wealthy and the poor. It's wrong to fail to pay a living wage. He's reminding the wealthy that nothing is going to last. In fact, you can't even take it with you. He's telling them that whatever you have will not be enough. You always will want more. That means that we often do extreme things to get more when in reality we may not need it. It makes us hoarders with what we have, thinking that somehow it needs to continue to pile up. The antidote to that, by the way, in the Bible is generosity. And then he says, you're living lives of luxury and self-indulgence. Many of those things you don't really need. Consider how you might be able to live more simply. As some have said today, we ought to live simply so others can simply live. So is James condemning rich people? Is he saying it's bad to be rich? And the answer is no. What he's condemning is the misuse of wealth, the way we put our hope and trust in it, the way we get, look to it for finding our worth and status. All we've been given, we've been given by God. And we should use that to support ourselves and our family, but we should also use it to bless others. Now, there's one final verse where James talks about these issues. It's all the way back in chapter 1, verse 127. And in this case, he says there are two groups of people that it is okay to favor. In other words, discrimination against these two groups of people or for these two groups of people is okay. He says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So he's saying, literally, if you want to be the kind of people that God wants you to be, take care of orphans and widows. And we need to work hard not to let the world corrupt us as well. But he says this literal orphans and widows. Why does he mention those? Well, first of all, they were two classes of people in the ancient world who had no direct means of support. Remember, there's no social service net, safety net at that time. There's no social security. There aren't the kinds of programs that we even have today. And they were also people who were not automatically defended in court. There weren't kind of legal system we had with attorneys and all this sort of thing. You, to be able to find representation, you had to be wealthy. And these folks didn't have that. What James is really saying here is that true religious behavior is defending the socially powerless. In our day, that may be different than orphans and widows, although that's still today a problem. It may include the poor. It may include immigrants. It may include others. But that's what God wants from us, is to do and treat these sorts of people with some kind of favoritism because they're the kinds of people who are often not defended and often 
find themselves on the wrong side of whatever it is that our society offers. Now, I mentioned at the beginning, again, that James can be confrontational, and in the verses that we've looked at today, he's done just that. He's pointed out that we often discriminate in how we choose to hang out with the kinds of people we choose to hang out with. But there's a more positive way to look at this. So I want to, rather than end on a downer, I want to look at a positive way to look at what James is talking about. What he's really telling us is that this is the way we put love into action. That when our hearts are transformed by God, we celebrate diversity. We become the first to reach out to those that society may shun. And we tell everyone we meet, you matter to God. Let's pray. Father, um, James has confronted us and challenged us, and it'd be very easy for us to leave here and just forget what we've heard and, and not reflect on it. And I pray, Father, that we would, that we would think about the classes of people that we may be looked down on, subtly or sometimes not so subtly. Now, it might be rich and poor, but it might be black and white. It might be thin and fat. It might be those who we disagree with politically. There could be all sorts of reasons that we look down on others. Father, I pray that you would expose these things in our hearts, that we would be honest enough with you and your Holy Spirit would be uh, revealing enough for us that we might see these things. Father, we pray, I pray that we would repent of these things and that you would transform our hearts so that we might look on everyone, no matter what their condition, no matter what their perspective, no matter what they believe, as people that you love, people who matter to you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.